Welcome to the weekly podcast from Harvest Ridge Church in North Ridgeville, Ohio. Our heart's desire is that you would grow in your love and devotion to Jesus Christ and that these messages will strengthen your daily walk. For more information about our church, visit us on the web at www.harvestridge.net. So I hired a handyman to come over to my house and do some tasks. So I made him a list of like 12 items that needed to be done. I came home that night. When I came through the door, I looked and jobs, some of the jobs weren't done. So I got to look in job number one, number three, number five, number seven, number nine, and number 11 were done, but not the others. And I said, what's the deal? Why didn't, why didn't you do all the tasks? And he said, because I only do odd jobs. <clears throat> all right. What is your response to the world's worst, the 21st century's worst question? What is your response? All right, you ready? Worst question, 21st century. Would you like to round up that purchase? Anybody have, would you like to round up that purchase? All right, so I'll give you three possible responses, okay? Y'all ready? First response would be, I always round up. Anybody an always round up person? You always round up? Oh, there's a couple of you? That's so awesome. But most of us, we don't always round up. We just pick and choose when to round up. And if you're one of those people, I would ask you a very simple question. If you round up sometimes, but not other times, my question is, do you in your life have a plan for giving or do you only give whenever you feel like it? Because if you only give when you feel like it, you're missing great opportunities and great blessings to be a percentage plan giver. And if you're a percentage plan giver, um, well, then you can choose to do it when you feel like it. But if all you're ever doing is doing by your feelings, well, then you're missing great opportunities because, anyway, I always round up, or I sometimes round up. How about this one? I never round up. Let the company, I, somebody gave me this quote the other day. They said literally, let the company take their contribution and the pledge they made out of their profits. Anybody ever feel that way? I never round up, never at all. Wow, y'all, you skin flints like me don't want to admit it this morning. All right, how about the third response? Round up. They need to round down. They need to give me the money because I'm in more need than they are. Have I ever feel that way? Well, I don't have anything to give. I need not to give. I need them to give to me. What I just did was I used a modern occurrence that we all run into as a parable to talk about how you respond to a certain set of needs. And the parable we're going to look at today is a parable Jesus told for a very specific purpose, and it you're going to find the three attitudes I just mentioned found in the story we're going to read today. It's in Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10, verse 25. If you've got a Bible, you want to open there because Jesus told this parable for a purpose. Now, I had a big discussion with somebody about this parable, and I asked them which person they were in the parable, and they're like, I don't ever think about that. And I'm like, what? How do you read a parable? How do you read a parable? When you read a parable, what, what's the purpose of you actually taking time to read a parable of Jesus? Uh, 
do you just simply read over it and then you're done with it, not think about it? Or do you actually think about the questions and the pain that's being presented? Do you actually put yourself into the story? What are you doing with this parable? And when we do the parable of the Good Samaritan Day, what I would like to challenge you to do is not read it as an academic exercise, but to literally put your feelings, thoughts, and emotions into the parable. Because this story has the most impact when you put yourself in it. So, what, uh, what's your, I don't, I don't know, what's your, um, what's the proper word, perspective on this story? We can sit in this room and have multiple perspectives. And uh, what I'd like to do is I'd like to talk about some of those perspectives. But first of all, I'd like to do an old picture to show you how we can look at the same thing and see multiple things. So here's an old picture. Does anybody remember this picture? All right, there are two ladies in this picture. And when you look at the one, you can see there's one. The first one is uh, what's known as the old hag. Do you see the old hag with the crook nose there and the real thin lips and two shoulders filled with fur? Y'all see that? All right. Do you know there's another lady in the picture? And the other lady is facing away from you and has the, the hair on the front of her bonnet. His hair is on the side and you see her eyelash and her little peak of a nose standing out on the other side and the ear on this side. What, what that means is this picture is designed to have multiple perspectives of the same picture. Multiple perspectives of the same picture. And what I'd like us to do when we read today the story of the Good Samaritan, I would like us to look at multiple perspectives of the same picture. Y'all ready? Looks like most of you have got it by now. We're going to jump into the scriptures. Would you stand to your feet in honor of God's word? Luke 10, 25. On one occasion... An expert in the law. So who are we talking about here? Expert. Somebody that knows what they're talking about. Expert in the law. Stood up to test Jesus. Now, we're going to come back to this, but I just want you to know this is not the same story as being told in Matthew and Luke when an expert in the law and, and tests Jesus. And the, the context is different this is a different story, and I'll explain that maybe in a second. All right. Expert in law stood up to test Jesus, and he said, Teacher, notice the question. What must I do? What do I have to do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus answers a question with a question. Smart Jesus. Well, what does it say? What's written in the law? He replied, How, how do you read it? And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. So how did Jesus answer? Jesus said, well, you have answered correctly. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But, here's the key, but. He wanted what? Come on, this is an all skate. Well, back when I was a kid, we'd go skating, and they'd have guy skates and girl skates and couple skate, and then they would say, it's time for all skate. What did it mean when everybody could skate again? Everybody participates. So lace up your skates and re come on with me. 
But he wanted to what? So what was this whole story about, both up to this point and after this point, is the man was trying to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, he asked Jesus, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, he tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. This will help you know that Jerusalem set up on a hill. Jericho set down by the Dead Sea. And there is a huge drop in height. It is also very rough and rugged and the road was narrow. There were lots of places for bandits to hide around corners and then to steal from you and then run away. And this was a very dangerous road going from Jericho is where, down here, is where the priests lived. That's, there was a large priestly community down here. And up here was where the priests worked in Jerusalem. The priests lived down by the beach because that's where every priest should live. Is <laughs> on the beach. But they worked up here in the city. All right, we'll come back to that. So, a priest... Uh, let me see. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. Now, I looked up that word half dead, and you know what it means? Half dead. That means he was on the verge of dying. He was, I, I looked this up because I want to know what in the world does it mean? It means you're, he was beat and left to the point he was about to die. All right. So, a priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw a man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him and passed on the other side. But a Samaritan, key word here, a Samaritan, as he traveled, came to where the man was. And when he saw him, he, he did what? Took pity on him. He, he had mercy in his heart. He felt compassion in his heart. And he went to him and he bandaged his wound. He poured on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and he brought him to an inn and took care of him. Wow. The next day he took out two denarii. If you don't know this, a denarii was the equivalent of a day's wage. He took out two days' wages and he gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. This guy stuck his nose where it did not belong. Can y'all just... Right? All right. So, um, which of these three... Now, Jesus turns back to the guy who's trying to test him, and he says, Now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. Because <laughs> he knew he was caught. And then what did Jesus say? Go and do likewise. Father, I pray that today you'd speak to us through your word. I pray our hearts would be open to what you have to say. That you would make it very, very clear to us the truth of this story. So that as we see ourselves in it, we would make decisions to do what needs to be done to live in the eternal life you offer us. Thanks. Amen. Hey, before you're seated, turn to somebody, give them a high five. Let them know you like them. Big smile whether they like it or not. If you're online, big smile and a high five to you. All right. 
There are three main characters in this story, and which one are you? That's what I want to talk about. The three main characters, I combined the priest and the Levite together because they had the same reaction. Uh, they were a little bit different, but they were of the same class. We'll talk about them in just a second. Let me give you a little background to this story about Samaritans here for a second, because to understand what's happening in this passage, Jesus just well, let's back up and read it. Luke chapter 9, verse 51. This is just a couple of days before then. Jesus has been with his disciples for three years. He's headed to Jerusalem to die. This is the end of his ministry. He knows it. He has invested in his disciples for three long years. And they're on their way to Jerusalem. As the time approached for them to be taken up to heaven, Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem. And he sent messengers on ahead, and they went into a Samaritan village to get things ready for him. But the people there did not welcome him because he was heading to Jerusalem. Because if you don't know anything about Samaritans, Samaritans were half Jewish, half people of that uh, culture and world. What happened was, at the end of the Babylonian, capti or at the Babylonian captivity, a few people were left in Israel who were Jewish. And those few people who were left in Israel who were Jewish intermarried, many of them, with people from the other regions around, and they produced half Jewish, half non-Jewish people. So what they did was they adopted, if you will, a half-Jewish religion and a half-culture around them religion. They moved the place of worship from Jerusalem to their town, Mount Gerizim. There on their mount was where they were going to worship. They also, they only took the parts of the Bible they liked and they cut the other parts out. Oh, this sounds like most denominations I know now. We'll only take the parts of the Bible we like. What's even worse is the coexist people. Coexist people? You know coexist people? Well, all religions are basically the same. No, they're not. Come on, when I came back from Taiwan and I spent a, a summer immersed working with Buddhist people, I decided I would look at world religions in detail. So I looked at all world religions and I spent about three to four months doing research on different world religions. And I will confidently affirm to you that all world religions do not teach the same thing. As a matter of fact, most world religions teach things that lead you to bondage and brokenness rather than freedom. Because in Jesus, the purpose of the Bible, the purpose of Jesus is this, Galatians 5.1, it is for freedom Christ set you free. But do you, know, do you know what most world religions want to do? They want to make you in bondage to them so that you have to do what they say so you can fill their power structures. Christianity is the only one that makes you free so that you get to do whatever you want and hopefully you're renewed and you want to follow Jesus with all your heart. All right. Coexist people drive me crazy. If you've got one of those on your bumpers, I may come up and just... No. Listen, if you don't believe in Jesus, that's fine. But don't say Jesus is equal to Buddha. Please. Don't dishonor Buddha or Jesus that way. I mean, just look at the Dalai Lama. I mean, anyway, sorry. If you don't know what he did recently, don't look it up. It'll make you want to break your computer. All right, where was I at? Oh, he sent to the Samaritan village to get things ready for him, and the people there didn't welcome because he was heading for Jerusalem. So when the disciples, James and John, saw this, two of Jesus' closest now, three years when they saw it, they said, Lord, do you want us to call down fire from heaven on them? 
and destroy them. But Jesus turned and rebuked them, and then him and his disciples went to another village. If you follow James and John's line, you know, somebody cut you off in traffic, Jesus, burn their car. <laughs> Seriously, whatever. Samaritans, by the way, because of their, because of their half in, half out distortion by Jews, they were hated. I mean, if a Samaritan showed up, it was like, an Ichigan fan showing up at the horseshoe. <laughs> I, I know our young adults are away with Pastor Jesse this weekend, and I am really afraid that he is, you know, he is leading them astray into false, uh, sir. <laughs> he is a Michigan fan, and, and, and we're praying for his salvation and deliverance. <laughs> just playing, just playing. So the reason for the story, the reason for the story is the man has a question. The question is very similar to found in Matthew 22 and Mark 12, where somebody else comes, a teacher line, tests Jesus and says, you know, what are we supposed to do from the law? And Jesus answers, Jesus answers, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbors yourself. So Jesus says that this is a separate story, a different story. This guy already knew the answer. Hold on, I don't think you got that. This guy, Jesus doesn't say, love the Lord your God. He's the one that says it. He had heard Jesus' teaching. He already knows the answer to the question, but there's something in him that's not right, and he's unsettled. That's why he asked Jesus to test Jesus to see if he could find a loophole. That's the reason for this whole conversation, is he's trying to find a way out. So on one occasion, a teacher, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, apparently Jesus already knew that this guy knew, so he had apparently seen him at his classes before. He was one of his students. Luke uh, 10, 26, he said, what's written in the law? And he said, how do you read it? Notice what he does. He puts a question back on him. Now, the church paid a whole bunch of money a couple years ago to send me to a coaching seminar. Better part of a week I spent in a coaching seminar. The, the business and, and ministry coaching. And I went because I want to learn and grow. I am a continuing education grower and learner. And I went so I could learn and grow. And I'm there at this and, and uh, I found out what I've learned over the years is, is that most people when they come to you for help already know what they need to do. They just don't have the guts to do it. You already know what's the right thing to do. You just are looking for an excuse to not do right. And you know what they taught me in the coaching class? To ask questions and let people like tell you things. It's like Jesus taught a coaching class two centuries ago. He said, Oh, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Notice this question start with what and how, not why. Why are you asking me? Would have been a wrong question. Parents, listen to me. Listen to me. I wish I'd known this years ago because I am a why guy. Why did you do that? Why did you think that was a good idea? Why didn't you? Come on, anybody... I found out that why questions are actually offensive. So no wonder all three of my children are in counseling for being raised with me. 
No, no, why, why? I want to know why you do something, because I'm like, what were you thinking? Well, hold on, what you're, what were you thinking is actually a better question, because you're asking them to process, because they don't know why, but if you ask what or how, they'll respond. I've learned this the hard way, and parents, listen to me. So what made you think it was a good idea to stay out past curfew? What do you expect to happen now? Are y'all following me? This is good stuff. I paid money for this and you're getting it for free. (laughs) All right. What did Jesus do? He said, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the guy answered, all right, here's your answer, Jesus. This is what you said. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, hey, that's good, man. You've answered correctly. That's my answer. So you've been paying attention. And then Jesus said, okay, do that. Do it. Because notice Jesus doesn't attack him. He knows he's there to justify himself, but he doesn't attack him. He says, okay, go do it. But because here's what happened. If you give somebody enough time and space, they will always give themselves enough rope to hang their, their problems. Okay, here you go. The man wanted to justify himself. He asked Jesus, well, then who is my neighbor? (laughs) And Jesus said, a man. And then he tells the story. Now, the whole purpose of the story is to identify that this guy is trying to justify, justify what it means to be a neighbor. He's trying to excuse his own attitudes and behaviors. So the parable is a direct answer by talking about a priest and a Levite. Now, we know from the story of the Good Samaritan, the guy, you know, the guy's going down the road, and the guy gets beat up, and he left half naked, and he's dead, half dead, and a priest comes along, and he passes where? Other side. And then a Levite comes along, and he does what? As far away as he can. Why? Why? Have you ever asked Why? Well, let me just explain something to you. Priests and Levites lived down in Jericho, and they needed to go to Jerusalem to make their living. And priests were only allowed to serve one month a year in the temple. You can read about it. It's in history. They had an ongoing rotating schedule, and the division of priests were only allowed once a year to come and to serve at the temple. In that one month a year, that's where they made all of their money for the entire year. Hold on, I don't think you got this. They have 12 months to work. They only get to work one month at their job that pays all the bills. And if what, what would happen if they miss half of that month to pay their bills? How would you like to have your income for the year reduced to one month and then you miss half of it? Would you be happy with that? What, you wouldn't be happy? Do you realize that if they touch the blood of this man, if they touch him, they are ceremonially unclean and they cannot do their job that they make their money for because they're not given land to make money. Their income comes from the temple and the sacrifices that are given there. Did y'all know that? So these priests and Levites, you know what they were saying? If I touch this guy, my family has to do without food. 
If I touch this guy, I miss my opportunity to worship God. Everything in my world tells me don't mess with this guy because I'm going to the temple and if I go there unclean, I don't even get to do my job. So they had reasons, right? Do you have reasons for not caring for people? So years ago, there was a girl came by the church. And she had a good story. Her story was that her boyfriend was abusing her, and she had left with him, and she was trying to get back to her parents. And uh, she wanted to get back to her hometown. Uh, so we called the police and make sure that, you know, the, the story was up and up, and the story was up and up. Uh, so what we did, was, it seemed up and up. Anyway, what we did was uh, we bought her the bus ticket to go back to her family. And then my wife put her in the car with all my kids. And out of our pocket, we took her and bought her food. And then we took her to the uh, to Motel 6 up here on Lorraine Road. And we bought her a room for the night. Now this girl, she was alone. She was pretty beaten up. She looked like she needed a, a good night's rest. So we bought her a way out. We fed her, we gave her a room, dropped her off and left and said we'd pick her up and take her to the bus station in the morning. And about an hour after we dropped her off, we got a call from the police. The police said she was running all over the place trying to sell her room for $20 because $20 is what she needed for a hit of heroin. Now I've got reasons for not trusting panhandlers and their stories now. What's your reason? What's your excuse? This story is a throat punch to all of us who justify ourselves to ignore people in need. It's a throat punch to us to not make excuses that if I do this, They'll take advantage or whatever it may be. Andy Stanley says, and I love what he, when he said this. This was years ago. He said, um, if you can't do for everyone, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So we're going to stop now and do for one what I wish I could do for everyone. We have a, a person that was a, he's a friend of mine. He was a part of this church for several years. He came to us as a pastor. Eric Shaw, if you remember him, he came here. He had just had a rough time at a church. He came here. They were healing up here. He got him well. We helped him find a, find a new church to be a part of. He was a part of our family and all of that. And then uh, that church closed down. He came back to us. And then he got a church out in Iowa, and he's a pastor out there now. And his daughter is an ICU nurse over at Cleveland Clinic, and she was driving home. I believe it was Thursday night, and she got T-boned by a guy doing 60 mile an hour in town. And uh, apparently it shook up her head quite a bit, and she's laying in ICU right now, and she's been mostly nonverbal and unable to function mentally because her brain's so shaken up. And you know what? If that were my little girl, part of my church family, you know what I'd want my church family to do? I'd want them to pray for her. So I'm going to ask you, would you join me in praying for Allie now? If you ever want anybody to pray for you when you're having a rough time, we're going to do for one what we wish we could do for everyone, right? 
All right, here we go. Jesus, we pray for Allie that you would heal her right now, that you would raise her up in this moment and that she would be healed and made well and that she would feel the love of God the Father, the love of the church, and that you would reach out your hand right now and restore her brain. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. So the first one is priest and Levite. I often view myself as the priest and Levite. There's a second person, though, that sometimes we view ourselves as, and that's the wounded man. The wounded man. Uh, we'll just do this quickly, all right? The wounded man is the guy that got robbed. He didn't do anything wrong, and he got beat down. Do you ever feel like you're the one that maybe you got... <laughs> You have all the bad come your way and never the good. And it's like, uh, I didn't deserve this, but I'm here right now. Does anybody ever feel that way? And when you read this story, sometimes you feel like, I just got dumped on for no reason. I'm the wounded man. And I can say that it's all right for you to feel that way occasionally. But if you feel that way all the time, if you're always the victim in the story, well, then I think you have a wrong view of yourself and your life. And I want to talk for just a second to those of you that see yourself always as the victim. If you're always the victim, I want you to know that you're viewing your life the wrong way because I read the back of this book. You know what the back of this book says about you? that you are more than a conqueror and you win, and it doesn't matter what happens to you, eventually Jesus is going to happen to it. The, 1 Peter chapter 5, and the God of all grace, who called you in his eternal glory in Christ, into his what? Eternal glory. So you may, let's say your life has been injustice from beginning to end. You're still not a victim. Do you know why you're not a victim? You may have had victim stuff happen to you, but you're not a victim. Because, because your life is about eternity, not just this. And if this is rough, man, find a way, find a way to enter into an understanding of who you're made for eternity in God, not just who you're made for on this earth. And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong and firm and steadfast. Hey, listen, we all go through victim times, but don't live as a victim because God wants to restore you to make you strong and firm and steadfast. Now, we got a guy in our church that he's going through. I can't even understand it. He's been in the hospital multiple times. He's having uh, physical things happen to him, seizures in his body, just, just bad stuff, one after the other after the other, and doctors have only made it worse. And, and then the doctors told him, hey, take a walk. If you take a walk, you know, it'll probably help you. So he's out walking, and he gets bit by a dog, and the dog fractures his leg. And then, I, and then he's back in the hospital again, and here he is in the hospital. And he told me this story the other day. He said, um, I was there in the hospital, and, uh, you know, I, he, he's had it bad, obviously had it bad, but he said there was a guy there that was nonverbal. He was a military guy. He's nonverbal. He's not been able to speak, didn't speak the whole time he's there, nonverbal. He's dealing with stuff. Anyway, uh, the young man named David said, can I pray with you? And he, you know, acquiesced. So David goes over and prays for him. And at the end of the prayer, he says, amen. He said the, the guy who hadn't spoke said, Amen. 
And when he said amen, the nurse, he looked over and the nurse started crying. Everybody's having a ball moment because, let me see, a guy who's in his worst place is looking for somebody else to help. And if you knew the whole story, you would say, I don't know how he can do that. Let me tell you why. Because no matter what you're going through, God wants to restore you and to make you strong and firm and steadfast. All right. The third person in the story is the Good Samaritan. Who's a Good Samaritan? Well, there are hospitals around the world named Good Samaritan. Did you all know that? Yeah. Uh, if you ever question the value of Jesus' teaching, just understand that this one story alone has helped alleviate more suffering and pain than you can ever imagine. And I know people, you know, they criticize Christianity because of the Crusades or the Middle Ages or blah, blah, blah. Yeah, there's a lot of problems that happen because of Christianity. But let me just say this. Every Good Samaritan hospital in the world would not be there without Jesus. So you may doubt, yeah, believers of Christ have done bad stuff. But I'm going to say it's about here to the good stuff they've done. And I want to be a part of the good stuff. We'll let others do the bad stuff. And if you're doubting and struggling, you know, Christianity because all the bad stuff, let me tell you, the wrong people are writing your history. If you really do some research, even the Crusades, for all the bad they were, there are some things in them that were very justifiable and very good. Don't tell our culture that because narrative now is more important than truth. All right, I'll move on. Only about two of you got that. Just be careful. Investigate truth. You know, they're rewriting history books all over the time. Y'all know that, right? So let's just understand that there is real truth, and sometimes the narrative you're hearing isn't always true. So Jesus elevated in this story of the Good Samaritan, he elevated the outcast as the example. He elevated the outcast as the example. Now, if you read the story of the Good Samaritan and you see yourself always as the Good Samaritan, you're always the Good Samaritan, you always do right, you're always good to people, well, then I want to warn you that you are probably a lot like this guy. I believe we've got a picture of Mr. Norton. This is Joshua Abraham Norton. And in 1859, Mr. Norton declared himself to be the emperor of the United States. Of course, he's from San Francisco. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> Sorry, have to throw... I, that, you know, bump set, it's at the net. I've got to spike it, all right? <laughs> of course. All right. Norton um, made this statement that he was the emperor of the United States because he saw some things that were wrong and he wrote a bunch of letters and he, he made a fortune uh, investing in commodities and of course as a commodity trader he lost his fortune and now he, uh, he declares himself emperor and he wore his fancy goods and his outfits and he put this in the paper and in the paper uh, he wrote this long flowing diatribe about how he was the emperor and taking control of the United States and as the emperor he even wrote a letter to Queen Victoria and proposed marriage to her that uh, together they would reunite under two kingdoms and strengthen the world together. And yeah, it, he was no more an emperor than the man in the moon, was he? No, no. Um, and some of you view yourself always as the hero. 
Listen, you're not. If you always see yourself as a hero, could we come back to reality for a second? When you're always the hero, sometimes you're playing this guy. And you know what? Do you know what? <laughs> the line said, but of course he, he wasn't because we don't get to make up who we are. I think there's some truth to that, and I think there's some not truth to that. And I'm not talking about sexual identity. Some of you have went to the sexual identity thing. And I'm not talking about that today. Let, let them deal with that. I'm talking to you. If you have a view of yourself that is more grandiose than truth, I had a guy tell me one time that he got a full-ride scholarship to play for Ohio State. And I said, oh, really, do you play on your high school team? And he said, no. Hold on, what do I know that guy is doing? Come on, what's he doing? Lying, he's living in a fantasy world. Quit living in a fantasy world. Do you know what God says about your fantasies? That you're going to win the lottery and all the good you'll do with it. Do you know what God says about your fantasies? Do you know what he says about them? You should read it. Psalm 73, 20. You know what it says? God will defy, despise them like fantasies. Because God despises your fantasies because he made you with potential to do something. And if all you do is live in a fantasy, you'll never get there. There's a difference between a dream and a fantasy. A dream is accomplishable by you if you will work. A fantasy will never happen no matter what. All right, so... We've talked about three people in the story. Let me wrap this up in two minutes. Y'all ready? Honest moment. This story condemns me. I do not like reading the parable of the Good Samaritan because I'm always the priest and the Levite. I'm condemned by it. Luke 10, 37, the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, go and do likewise. And when I read this for the first time in my life, I saw the reason for the story. The story's not to condemn you for your failures. Remember, the guy was justifying himself. He was in a fantasy world about himself. He was in a fantasy world that he was all right. And Jesus cracked open his fantasy by telling a story. And the story is meant to crack open your fantasy that you're something you're not. And to bring you to a point where you actually embrace the one who had what? The whole story is about mercy. The whole story is about mercy. Um, it's like an airplane. You know, you're sitting there with your baby next to you, and the stewardess or, or the whatever they're called now, what are they called? Flight attendant says, because I can't say stewardess anymore, tells you how old I am. Anyway, flight attendant says, if we lose cabin pressure, a mask will come down. What are you supposed to do? If you have an infant with you or a child with you, secure your mask on yourself and then put it on them. Do you know the reason you don't, do you know the reason you don't show mercy to people? Because you don't let God show mercy to you. You aren't breathing his mercy air, so you can't give mercy air. And that's what this whole story is about. The guy was self-justifying, rather letting God justify him. The guy was trying to prove how righteous he was, rather than saying, I need God's mercy. 
because when you receive mercy, then you can give mercy. But as long as you think you're too good, you don't give mercy because you haven't received it. Hold on. Oh, you don't believe me? James chapter 2, verse 13. Judgment without mercy will be shown to anyone who has not been merciful. Mercy triumphs over judgment. If you heard this story today and you heard the good Samaritan does the right thing, but I always do the wrong thing and I'm bad and I can't even get to heaven or whatever, if you hear that, you miss the point of the story. The point of the story is God is merciful to us so we can in turn be merciful to others. It happened this way to me. I was, um, it was another one of those times we had some people drop by and these people were scamming. Their stories were obviously a lie. And they told me what they needed and I, I, I did this. I, I took them and I uh, bought them a tank of gas. Actually, you as a church bought them a tank of gas. I used the church credit card and put a tank of gas in their car. And then I reached in my own wallet and I bought some pizzas for them and the kids in their car. And uh, I will never forget, we were in front of Domino's on Center Ridge Row. I pulled the pizzas out. I came out. They were still sitting in the car. They had lied to me. They were obviously scamming. They, th their story was a total fabrication. It was wrong. I knew it was wrong. And I was upset about it. But for some reason, the Holy Spirit spoke to me to go ahead and do it. And I'd taken money out of my own wallet to buy them pizza. And I walk up to the window of their car... And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. I know this was him because I'm not this good. And I handed them the pizza and I said, I just want you to know, I know you're scamming. And I know your story's false. But I bought you this pizza anyway from my own pocket because I want you to know someone cares. And I care. And I want your kids back there to know that not only do I care, God cares. And I know, I know my sermon's too long. I know you're scamming. But you got one of two choices. When you take this pizza, you can either take it and go drive away with an attitude of, yes, we got away with it. Or you can say, I got some mercy. Somebody gave me what I don't deserve knowing I don't deserve it. I said, the only reason I'm giving you this pizza is to tell you that Jesus Christ 2,000 years ago on a cross took every sin you've ever committed and every wrong you've ever done and everything that you could ever imagine to separate you from him. And he, like this pizza, offers it to you for free knowing you don't deserve it. Will you take it? Or will you abuse it? Will you receive the mercy or will you abuse it? See, this guy couldn't even say the Samaritan did the right thing. He said, the one who showed mercy. Because he wasn't a guy that was good at receiving mercy, he couldn't give mercy. And what I want you to be and what I want me to be is forget this story of condemnation that you're not good enough and you don't help enough people and you don't blah, blah, blah. Forget that for a second. Could you change the view of who you are? That you would be a mercy receiver so that you could be a mercy giver. You're not good enough 
but Jesus is. And he gives you his mercy. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. And there are people in this room right now, you've never lived in God's mercy. You still think wrong things about yourself because you've never let him give you mercy. You don't give the mercy you ought to because you've never received it. And what I want to offer you today is the mercy of Jesus Christ to forgive you of all your sins, to cleanse you, to give you life, to give you hope, to give you a future. And if you would like to receive the mercy of Jesus today in your heart, I'd like you to lift your hand because I want to pray with you. If you're in this room today, you want to receive, yes, the mercy of Jesus. Around this room, there are hands up all over this room. Father God, I pray right now that you would grant your mercy to every person whose hands lifted and that their life and their heart would be changed forever and that as a mercy receiver from you, they would receive forgiveness and mercy and they would become a mercy giver. In the name of Jesus, we pray it. Amen. Man, I'm going to ask you to take a couple of minutes with me. Our prayer teams are coming. Would you stand to your feet with me around this room? Would you take a couple of minutes and would you spend some time ruminating on this? If you gave your heart to Christ today, you ask for mercy and that's the, you say it's my time to live for Jesus. There's back at the back table. I believe Mike's back there. He's going to be back there just waiting for you. If you want to talk to him, he'll tell you the next steps you can take to follow Jesus. We should have some prayer team members up here, and these prayer team members are going to be here. If you want somebody to pray with you today, they're going to be up here to pray with you, whatever it may be, sickness, maybe you, uh, maybe you need some mercy in your life, maybe there's a situation you're going through, you need God's grace. And I'd like you to take just a moment and let's just dedicate ourselves to the mercy and love of God as we sing this song.